This podcast has been brought to you by Wheatberry, the job search site where careers in insurance and financial services begin. Post your job openings for free. Let Wheatberry help you find the talent you need. Wheatberry with an I at Wheatberry.com. Jesse Navarro began his insurance agency in Redondo Beach, California with Farmers Insurance Group in 2007. Since then, he and his staff have built the agency from zero policies to just over 1,500 accounts and over 3,700 policies in force. His staff includes two fully licensed customer service representatives, one retention specialist, a commercial producer and a commercial lines customer service representative, and also a life insurance marketer. Jesse has been recognized multiple times as a member of the Toppers and Championships Clubs, as well as a member of the Million Dollar Roundtable. Jesse Navarro is in his agency in Redondo Beach, California this morning. Uh, Jesse, thank you for dialing in. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Say, uh, Jesse, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your agency there in Redondo Beach. Well, this is actually our... uh our anniversary month, so I've been an agent now with farmers for 10 years. Uh, we've started uh, here in locally. I, I was recruited by my first district manager here in Torrance. I moved around to a little bit more inland and Southgate for a year, and I came back to Redondo, and we've been in Redondo Beach now for about seven years. Now, Redondo Beach, uh, just so our listeners know, is... Uh near Los Angeles, just south of uh, the LAX airport, isn't it? Correct. Uh, we're about 10, 15 minutes from LAX airport. Um, they call uh, our little area on the South Bay. So we have a nice little community of uh, three different beach cities, Manhattan Beach, Hermosa, and Redondo. And then, uh, you know, we're very close and close to all the other areas here, too. Long Beach is not too far from us, maybe about 20, 30 minutes, depending on you know, the very famous LA traffic. Yeah, it's uh, with that traffic, uh, how far do you live uh, time-wise uh, from the office? Uh, it really obviously depends on what time I head out to the or, to or from the office uh, to get home. But if I'm coming in, let's say, at 7.30 in the morning on my way to work, it'll probably take me about 20 to 30 minutes, uh, taking a little bit of streets and a little bit of freeway. Now, you're, uh, I'm guessing, used to that. Uh, did you grow up uh, in the Torrance area? I grew up, uh, I was born in Torrance, and then I grew up near, nearby in Inglewood. And then stayed in Inglewood until about, I was uh, 10, 11 years, no, I'm sorry, 8 years old. Then we moved to Riverside, which is about an hour and a half east. That was a small little developing city. I stayed there until I was about 13 or 14, I believe. And then came back to L.A. to a city called Hawthorne, which is also near um, LAX. These are all cities that are right next to each other. And um, grew up in Hawthorne, graduated from Hawthorne High. Once I graduated from Hawthorne, I moved to Mexico City, where I studied music. And I uh, got my degree from Mexico City, came back to L.A. to live with my parents again, and then kind of started developing a career not inside of music. Interesting. Well, it's uh, what took your family uh, out to Riverside? Uh, that was kind of like moving out to the country, wasn't it? it? It really was. It really was. What you know, at the time, I think there was a big shift in in what the 
families wanted in the area. And when we grew up here in Inglewood, it wasn't that it was the it wasn't the greatest area. So I think my my parents wanted to get us out of being you know in kind of in the city life. Not, and not so much I wouldn't even call it inner city or anything like that, but just getting away, um, starting something new for them. My dad, you know, we were able to get a brand new house. Nobody had ever lived in it. It was a two-story house. We had homes. Over, we had a house over here, but it was uh, there were smaller homes and they were older. And just the idea of getting something big and new excited them. And what kind of work did your uh, your dad and mom do? My mom did not work up until she used to work when I was very very young, and I think she was office admin things like that. And then but then she left work when I turned probably when I was like three or four. And then my dad had always been in door-to-door sales. So he was um, he was self-employed, and what he would do is he would go and buy, uh, go to the warehouses in L.A., downtown L.A., buy wholesale microwaves, TVs, stereos, electronics. This is before the time of Best Buy. Hmm. So he would buy these items and then go and sell them pretty much door-to-door. Um, to, to people in the community that maybe didn't have access to go to them. So um, I'm, I'm Mexican. My parents are of a Mexican heritage. I was born here, but they were born over there, and I'm first generation. And my dad is obviously hitting Mexican community, the Hispanic community, not just Mexican, but uh, going up and selling them stereos, TVs, microwaves, not just door-to-door, but also to businesses. And I remember I went with him one time when I was probably about – I want to say seven years old, eight years old. Before we moved to Riverside, I went with him and I saw what he did. And he would just go to people. If he saw people standing in in a group, he would go and offer them TVs or microwaves or whatever it was that he had. Interesting. Or he would go inside of a business and offer them a TV. Or It was pretty... Now that I think about it, it's pretty amazing to think that he would... I've done that. That was interesting. Yeah. I would think he uh, maybe uh, had you uh, enlisted you to help lift uh, some of those boxes into the truck and unload them. (laughs) Well, you know what? Our our, uh, garage, now fast forward to when we moved to Riverside, he was making the drive from Riverside to L.A. to every day. And he would go and buy his, his inventory, basically. And sometimes he would come to the house and there would be a big truck following him and he would store all these TVs and microwave boxes in our garage. And our garage was more like a warehouse. Interesting. And yeah. we would be the ones that would have to unload it and load it back up. Yeah. Me and my brothers. So how many uh, brothers did you have, older brothers or younger brothers? I have four younger brothers. I'm the oldest of five boys. Okay. Yeah, so he had plenty of... Plenty of muscle around to, to move boxes in and out. Yeah, he had a, he had cheap labor. <laughs> yeah. So you had uh, an interest in music. Uh, what took you to Mexico City to study music? My my dad was always, uh, he used to sing when I was young. He's always been into music, and me being the oldest, I was always getting like, oh, art, somebody, you know, music, music, art. I used to play the piano when I was a kid and then I got into the trumpet and when I graduated high school I didn't really want to go to college conventional college I guess 
And he was like, well, why don't you go learn how to study, you know, go study music in Mexico? It was his idea, and I was like, that sounds like an incredible idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was after an adventure, and he wanted me to go be a rock star. Yeah. Yeah. So you then, uh, after that, uh, did you pursue uh, music when you got back to the States, or, or was that um, uh, just an adventure? I around a little bit when I was in Mexico, and I was studying, and we had a little group and stuff, and then I came back, and I... I tried to find a group and tried to stay in it, but I think what I realized was that um, even if you're super talented in music, it still takes a miracle to be, you can't, it's not just that. You need a little bit more than just talent uh, to make it and make a career and really be, you know, a star or even just be able to make money off of it and live comfortably. So... I, I started late in the guitar, and that's really what my thing was. Even though I had a lot of experience with instruments and music in my life, I just I knew I wasn't that good. So yeah, I, I, had to, I wanted to do something else. Yeah, I can tell by looking at your bio and our visit uh, earlier that you've been quite entrepreneurial. I, I know you were uh, had a job uh, with a, an airline. Uh, you were involved in real estate. You had a wine store. Uh, tell me about uh, your wine store and, you know, what uh, what was some business lessons you learned uh, with that? With the wine store, what, how I got started in that, I, I originally wanted to, I had always had a dream to have a coffee shop. So I wanted to have a coffee shop where they would have open mic and we could do poetry readings and then do coffee and all that stuff. I actually was trying to get a coffee shop. I learned how to make lattes. I went to conventions, and I had my whole business plan written. And then I got into, I was looking for a location from a coffee shop. Then I was like, well, this is taking two. I'm 25 years old at the time. I had just finished doing real estate in 2004, and that was really, in 2004, if you did real estate, all you had to do was just put your hand out and something would land. So you kind of think that you're a, a superstar. Now, I was doing real estate when I was like from 22 to 24, and I was making all this money thinking that I'm some super businessman that can do whatever he wants. So I'm just jumping now, but I didn't ever like doing real estate at the time. It was, it didn't feel right to me. I didn't enjoy it. It took too long to close deals. So I wanted to get into this coffee shop because that's what I always wanted to do. I jumped, tried to look over to coffee and looking for locations, but I, I couldn't find anything that I liked. Then I was like, well, let me find an existing coffee shop that I can convert. Didn't find anything that I liked. Uh, let me start expanding my search to look for other beverage businesses. Liquor stores, now wine stores, and wine seemed way cooler than coffee, and it's evening, not morning. So I took my uh, broad education of Winopoly. I bought a board game that said Winopoly. I bought a couple books. I watched the movie uh, Sideways a couple times, <laughs> and I was ready. <laughs> I was ready to go be a, a connoisseur of wine. Uh, and I bought this store from, with the help of my parents, we got a line of credit on their property, and I bought an existing business, and I did my due diligence thinking that, you know, show me three years of your tax returns. I looked at the numbers, said $90,000 every single year, exactly, with the same expenses every single year on the tax return. And I thought, okay, perfect. I'm going to hear. I bought that store. And uh, the, it's funny, when I got that store, the very first day that I had it, a guy comes in the store, 
grabs a bottle of wine off the shelf, puts it down and says, uh, Hi, my name is Gary. Who do you have this place insured with? And he was the farmer's insurance agent that later that insured that store and later introduced me to my next career. Really? But uh, to answer your question about how what I learned from it, um, first of all, I, on the purchase, on the purchase of the store, seeing these numbers, thinking that because I saw tax returns that said one thing that it was going to make money uh, automatically. So really, when I it, that's not how it worked. Um, it ends up you have to actually do work and you have to know how to build the business to generate that much money and continue generating. And I didn't know how to generate. Um, I had an idea of what my business model was going to be. I was going to uh, do gift baskets and do continuity gifts for realtors. So if your client bought a property, you would send them a gift basket and it would come to them every three, you know, every year for maybe three years and they would pre-plan it ahead. That was the idea. But I learned that more importantly than ideas, that's a brilliant idea, and I had a lot of realtor friends, mm-hmm. is execution. And I never executed the idea. And I never got the baskets to kind of put it all together. I never really went and talked to anybody and presented a brochure, and I never did it. It was just a great idea. And then I was waiting for my wine store to just generate because it was a store and people were going to come. And I had a product that was cheap, $20, versus trying to sell a house that was half a million. It's a lot easier, but it just I tried to do some mailers, but it just never really took off because I was too inconsistent with it. So being the, you know, seeing the consistency and being consistent with a mailer with a certain marketing where you're going after a certain niche, I learned, I learned that I didn't do that. So, and then my product, you know, product knowledge, I mean, wine is fun and I could talk about it a little bit, but I wasn't passionate about it. Like you have to be to be able to sell a $80 bottle of Camus, you know, or a $120 bottle of Silver Oak. You need to be passionate. You have to know what you're talking about because those people who are going to pay for that know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It's uh, so your one of your first customers was an insurance agent with farmers. How did the career with uh, farmers uh, come across your path, and uh, and why did you consider uh, to go that direction? Well, so Gary Buss was the agent that came in that first day, and then he gave me the quote. He ended up being three stores down from me. He had his office, and then he gave me the quote to insure to insure give me a general liability. Well, from time to time, he would come in and pick up the payment, um, or he'd just come by and talk, and he would tell me about uh, about his career. He'd tell me about insurance and how insurance worked. Now, I had already done loans in real estate, so I knew you needed to have insurance on a house. I knew you needed to have insurance on a car, and now on a business. And he would explain to me that you need to have insurance. My business is never going to go away. Now, during this time, my wife store is not making any money, so I'm starting to get more open to different ideas. Um, he explained the way he explained his lifestyle made me think that he was the biggest farmers agent in the company. You know, he was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Hawaii and go hang out in my condo for a week." And I'd say, "Well, what about your clients?" Oh, I'm just gonna forward my cell phone or forward my phones to myself, and from there we'll just I'll talk to them and just say, "Hey, I'm in Hawaii. How can I help you?" That sounded so cool to me. I was like, and I'm over here in, in San Pedro selling.
selling wine. <laughs> but it just he, the way he explained it and his enthusiasm and his, you know, he was always happy and always, and I'm just like, how is this guy doing it? And he's telling me that he's got different ventures that he does. And I was like, I, I got to get out of this. I, I understood the the concept of residual income. So when he told me about that and you can keep making money every single year and you just keep making more. And again, he explained it like it was so easy to just go out there and get a client for $30,000 on a building. You know, go sell uh, a life policy for, uh, you know, $50,000 in, in premium, whatever it, whatever it was. He just made it sound so simple. Mm. So as I was failing in this other business with the wine store, I've always liked uh, marketing. That's kind of always been my thing. I enjoy the idea and behind it, building a system that you consistently do, and then you start seeing results from it. So I would t- now I was I was a lot of ideas at the time because I wasn't about execution. But I would tell Gary my ideas, and he was like, "Oh, you could come and be a producer for me. Why don't you just go and get the go get go get your test, go get your license." So I went to go get my license, and I remember I, uh, I had to close the store for a week, but I wasn't making any money. And I was like, well, it's only a week. I'm not making money, and maybe I'll make money over here. I closed the store, went to the Torrance. I think it was in Torrance, so I went for the Eddie Banker class for the first PNC. Um, now, Gary didn't pay for anything. Gary just kind of told me about the career, told me about the opportunities, pointed in that direction. And then I went. So I remember I went and I finished my hours, and then I went in to take the test the first time. Now, I already had uh, my real estate license, so I'd taken a state test before. It wasn't like a big nervous thing to me, but I went and I failed it the first time. And I remember I was like, oh, okay, well, looks like this is a little bit more serious than I thought. And I've always kind of considered myself to be somewhat smart when I apply myself. And I was like, okay, well, I took it as a challenge. No big deal. Here we go. Now let me really study. So the book isn't that big, but I was like now studying it aggressively. Went to go take the test again. Failed it again. Now I'm like getting a little irate and I'm starting to kind of have like this little sense of doubt. Now before, I don't know if it's like this before, but you have to do eight. You take it two times. If you fail it two times, you got to wait 30 days and then you can take it another two times, the test. So I failed it, and then in those 30 days window that I had to wait, I'm rewriting the book pretty much to memorize everything that I want to memorize. So I'm rewriting the book, getting everything down. I'm ready for the third test, go into downtown L.A., find a parking, get everything done. It's like the test failed it again. And now I'm like, I remember I was driving home, and I had those anger tears, and I was just, so mad and I got home and I talked to my girlfriend at the time and I was just like, I was just crying. I was crying because I was so mad and I was so frustrated because my wine store wasn't doing it. I had this thing that I couldn't pass in front of me and I couldn't pass this test and I just said, you know what, I don't even want to sell insurance anymore. I just want to pass this test. That was the big thing to me. So I went, took the crash course that weekend or yeah, I took a crash course like on a Monday and then I took the test again on a on a Thursday, and then I finally passed it. Mm-hmm. So that to me was a big victory just in itself. So now I go back to Gary. I say, all right, I got my license. Now what? So he's like, okay, well, now uh, go talk to my district manager 
he's going to interview you or I don't know what he wanted me to go talk to the district manager for now. Um, and then once he says, you're okay, come on back. Went to go talk to the district manager. Um, I walked in to go be a producer. Uh, when the door closed and after I came back out, I was now a reserve agent for farmers. Hmm. And it's uh, when you first got uh, then your license and you're, you're in the business, uh, Tell me about your uh, one of your first customers. I know you're obviously a very successful agent today, and I think you have over 3,700 policies in force. But take me back to that first customer situation, and uh, uh, how did you land your first policy? <clears throat> when we started off as a, you know, we start off with farmers. You have to do a period of 40. They're called you're a reserve agent. So you have to do 40 home and auto and four life policies, cross-sells, and then you become a career agent. So now when I went to go take that contract, you know, and I signed the contract with Farmers, I didn't really just, this was in February of 06. But I didn't do anything with it because I still had to have this store behind me. So I had to get rid of the store. I finally got rid of the store. And now I'm trying to break back into real estate because I knew that that's how I could make more money quicker. But it's 2006, the loans are dead, nobody's buying houses. So while I was in that, um, while I was still in that world trying to make loans or real estate happen, uh, I had my license and I still had this district manager asking me if I'm going to try to be an agent. So I actually got my first few clients from the uh, realtors that were in the office that I was selling real estate to. And just a couple of one-offs, maybe like a, a referral for a, a loan that needed to close. And I remember, I actually do remember the first policy I sold. Her name is Rose Daly. And Rose was a referral from a, uh, a realtor that needed to close her house, and she got her house in Downey and shared that property. And then Rose then got her autos with me. And I remember one day then they, she was my first claim, my first home claim also. Somebody drove a car through her, like, front door. It was the craziest thing. <laughs> and then I drove all the way from Torrance. I went down to Downey, which took me about an hour and a half with traffic. And then I just went and talked to her, you know, for a while and just sat there and looked at the hole in her house and called claims and kind of got started that way with her. Now you've gone uh, all the way from uh, her to now uh, literally thousands of policies. What do you feel like has been uh, the the guiding uh, habit or principle that's really been important for you and your group to move the business from where it was to where it is? Um, you know, there's several parts that that kind of happen with that, or how how you kind of grow. When the beginning, when I was I considered myself a producer. Uh, I started doing a lot of mailers. You know, I, I took an idea from the real estate, my first real estate mentor, to do mailers in farm and area, and I started farming it, and then that's how I started growing. And I grew my agency from zero to about 1,500 policies in about two years. So I grew that. I grew pretty quick, and I had a lot of success because of the mailers. But then... Somewhere along the way, I was given 600 policies from an agent that left the business. And when I was given, I'm given that, it changed my whole dynamic of 
if I would have stayed just being a producer that way where I was growing my book organically, then I could have continued to grow to grow with the business that way, to start adding on staff at a slower at a at the right pace and then teaching them one way. But then I started I got that book and it was like six hundred policies, so it was a sizable amount. And I had to become a retention specialist instead of a producer. So it kind of changed the dynamic of my agency, and I started learning about having, you know, I started looking for ideas of how to retain these clients that I was getting, and then I could take the foot, my foot off the pedal on the mailers, because I was sending out about 5,000 mailers a month to homeowners. So when that, that switched, and I kind of became, you know, I was given these policies, and then I had to become a retention specialist, but then... That kind of created its own little lull in activity. I was not able to move past it because I couldn't figure out the servicing with the new business side to continue to grow. So uh, Farmers has, it wasn't until about 2012 that Farmers developed a program called the Agency Platform. And what this was where they were modeling in an existing agent and his structure and his agency and then giving that platform, that playbook to other agents, and I jumped on this. And um, it really changed the dynamic of what I, how I work my book and what I have my existing staff do. So I, once I learned systems of how to manage existing staff and having to put, you know, look at the metrics behind the things they're doing, I figured out ways of, of tracking them in not so much of a micromanagement way, but just in a production way. We, we are production, and we have to generate quotes. That's our job. And then people buy it, but some people don't. But we just have to keep generating quotes and presenting and then servicing. Yes. So once we start doing, you know, the service work is the opportunity to continue generating more. But you have to have the systems in place and the right people running those systems to keep on growing. So I, I once in 2012, I learned these systems. I had another big growth spurt. I grew about another seven. Um, by this time, I was fifteen hundred, and I got up to about twenty-two hundred just by growing little by little. And then farmers opened up a platform to be able to buy agencies. Um, so I took advantage of that because I grinding it out in those first few years. I mean, once I left that wine store and then I jumped into insurance, I had a lot of debt built up. So I was grinding it out. I had to file for, after I got all my licenses, I actually filed for bankruptcy. And I had to start all over again. So that's kind of, I was starting from zero. I got kicked out of my apartment. My car got repoed because I kept sending mailers instead of sending my payment. Uh, then my girlfriend's car got repoed for the same reason because we kept sending out mailers. But we believed in the mailers. We believed that if we kept on investing in the business, that it would grow. So I would say years one through three were life and death, you know, and that's why I got good at selling life insurance because I needed that extra commission. Jesse, it's uh, wonderful to hear your passion and uh, your commitment to it. When you you kind of look uh, around the office and your people and the agency that you have today and that you've earned and accomplished, uh, what excites you most about uh, the next three to five years uh, in the business? You know, I really, insurance is a, is an interesting industry because there's so many lines of it. Uh, and then again, with 
just my opportunity that I have with farmers that if they don't do something, they let me go broker it out. Um, if they don't like it, I can go be a broker. So that kind of now makes it another little, it's another layer, it's another intricacy that makes it fun. Mm-hmm. That I can build this system and this this line of business, I could build the department and then see it grow. Um, that I can get my uh, 21-year-old CSR who I hired when she was 18 and now she's excited because she's selling life insurance and uh, she's starting to make more money and she sells policies. Now she's not excited by just selling one policy. She likes to sell two a day. Um, that to me is exciting. Get hiring somebody that has no insurance experience. I feel very proud that I've created about three producers, three superstar producers. I don't have them all with me because some people leave and however it ends up going, but I've created some superstars and that to me is the exciting part that I can mold somebody with some ideas, with some passion. We end up working with in everything. In our, if our staff is, is like us a little bit, that's who we get along better with. Yeah. Our clients are the people that we probably have a lot of similarities. So you attract the people who are your like. And I know if I stay excited, I'm going to attract somebody who's excited. And then we grow as an agency and we're able to accomplish all these different things. And that, that to me is always exciting. That's nice. That's nice. Say, when uh, uh, thinking back to your dad uh, who was uh, selling appliances door to door into people that he would meet, uh, what was some advice that uh, maybe he gave you or uh, an example that he set uh, that uh, carries with you and you think about uh, as you uh, continue to exceed, succeed uh, in your business? Uh, my dad, you know, my dad was a very, very hard worker, and he, he really showed me how to work, how to know how to just keep waking up and going and doing it every day I remember he'd work six days a week and it's not because we were poor or anything like that I feel very best that we lived a great childhood and we never needed anything we took family vacations and there was two big ideas that my dad gave me though um the first the confidence like everything was easy everything was easy he would say you know what I can make my payments picking up cans because it wasn't about what he was doing. It was about the effort that he was going to put into it and the idea that no matter what he did, he was going to be successful. So that, I remember that specifically he would say that, I'll make my payments picking up cans. It was just the idea that I'm going to work that hard and I'm going to out-hustle the next guy and I'm going to make it. Um, That was one of the big ones. And the second one that he always told me was the money's in the street. Not in the office, not in the store, not anywhere. You go look for money. So when I would do mailers and, you know, people would call in and say, okay, well, let me think about it. Uh, you know, they would call in for a home insurance quote because that's what my mailer was for. All right, let me think about it and then maybe we'll uh, go into your office and we'll get the policy. And I said, you know what, why don't you let me go to your house? Because I knew the money was at the house <laughs> in my office. So they could come to my office. Oh, I forgot my checkbook. Oh, I, oh, I don't have my VIN number, so I can't. I needed to go to their house. So I've always been one to just always be going out. And in LA traffic, that's not always great. But um, now, as I've grown in my agency, I can be a little bit more ba- uh, pickier and say, you know what? Why don't you come to me? I can ask somebody that. I just asked someone that. Out of, I, this client that I've had for maybe nine years. 
I went to their house. They're always been about maybe 45 minutes from me. And every year I go to their house. It's two autos and a renter's policy. It's not a huge account, but I just keep going back because that's what, that's how I started. When I, when I needed them, that's what I did. So I just always kept that habit. Yesterday they called me and they wanted to do another review and, and I called them and I said, you know what? Do you mind if I ask you to come to me this year? And she just kind of chuckled and laughed and said, yeah, I'll go to you this year. And then to me, that's a victory. Not because I made her do anything, but it's, it more is like where I am now. I can, I can kind of not rest on my heels, but I can just be at the point where I don't have to be looking for it the same way anymore. Yeah. Um, I push my staff to do it and we still always have that sense of urgency. And if she would have said no, I still would have gone. But I just kind of felt really good that I felt like, oh, you know, I've graduated a little bit. Yeah, Jesse, that's a wonderful story. Uh, sounds to me like your father was a, a business genius. Uh, that's uh, that's wonderful advice. Uh, just to our listeners uh, to uh, remind you, the, our guest today is uh, Jesse Navarro, who is a very successful farmer's insurance uh, uh, group uh, agent, uh, an agency owner in Redondo Beach, California. Uh, Jesse, it's been wonderful to visit with you and hear your story today. Thank you so much for, um, for inviting me, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Oh, hi. You're still here? Say, if you consider yourself a subject matter expert on a topic our producer and advisor listeners would be interested in learning more about, drop us a line. We would love to schedule an interview with you where you can share your expertise. You can find our contact information at insuranceradio.com.